If you want to pull out your copy of the scripture and turn to John chapter 6. Uh, We have invisible, unspoken boundaries that we give anyone that we consider uh, a leader, whether it's at work, uh, politics, religion. We have boundaries, and if they step outside of those boundaries, they lose us as a follower. This is across everything. Like in college, I had to take a PE class. I went to a small university, and so there wasn't specific like uh, volleyball or bowling or badminton. It was just PE class, and so different months had kind of different emphasis, and so, you know, one was a running month, uh, one was a weightlifting strength training, and one was a step aerobics month. And so we would meet in our classroom, and the teacher would tell us what we were doing that day, go get changed into your athletic stuff, and, and then follow me. And she led us out to what we called the quad, which was the center of campus, like the very center of campus, and then she led us in step aerobics. And it, it wasn't like at 8 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock at night when there were just a few people on campus. It was in the heart of the day when everybody was watching either out the window or as they were coming onto campus or as they were leaving us out there, me out there specifically doing step aerobics. And at that point, I was like, you know, she stepped out of bounds. I'm not willing to uh, follow her anymore, except for I have to come to this class three times a week in order to get my C, uh, which I did, by the way. So I feel like that was a, that was a win. My love for fitness began there. Last week in John chapter six, Jesus stepped out of bounds. Those unspoken boundaries that his followers had for him He stepped way beyond that. He tells them, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now we understand Jesus is talking spiritually and they even understood that to a degree. They knew that he wasn't advocating for cannibalism. And yet the way that Jesus said it, it offended them. It caused a sharp reaction in them. And in the last portion of John chapter 6, we're going to see them decide, what are we going to do? Are we in? Are we out? Are we passionate? Are we apathetic? Uh, Or will we just leave? John chapter 6, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware of that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Now, it's important to understand that when they say who can accept this, they don't mean who can understand this. Um, When I was in seminary, I had to take an ancient language as a part of my degree. And uh, and so I I already had a pretty busy semester. I was loaded up. I had a full-time job. And so I went to the first day of class and they start teaching as if we had been in there for a long time. No introduction, just straight into it. This language is totally unique and different from, you know, I grew up in Southwest Missouri. I can barely speak the language that I have, let alone learn a language that they write from right to left instead of left to right. Thank God that in the three-hour class, the professor gave a break in the middle. I picked up all of my things and I never went back. That teaching was too hard for me to accept. I just could not wrap my mind around it. But that's not what they're saying here in John chapter 6. They're not saying, I can't understand it. It's above me. Uh, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around it. What they're saying is, I don't want to do it. They understand it just fine. But their response is, who can accept this? Who can actually follow through with this? And that I really resonate with. They came to Jesus with um, things that they were prepared to believe about him. 
Almost all of them were willing to believe that he was an extraordinary teacher, unique, creative, uh, unlike anyone they had ever encountered. In fact, some of them said that he teaches with an authority that none of our other religious leaders have. They were prepared to believe that. They were prepared to believe even that Jesus was a replacement king. They were ruled by Rome at the time, so their king didn't even live in Israel. actually lived in some palace in Rome. They had never met that king, would never meet that king. They only experienced the really mostly negative things about being in this person's kingdom. So they thought, hey, if Jesus wants to be a replacement king, they were prepared to believe that. Some were even prepared to believe that he was the Messiah, the, the one that the prophets had said was coming, that God would use to restore Israel, to put all of their enemies underneath their feet. But what most of them were not willing and prepared to believe was that Jesus was the eternal son of God. When he says things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you're hearing me, you're hearing the words of the Father. Even those who were prepared to believe that he was maybe, possibly, potentially the Messiah, they were not prepared to believe that. And and we all brought things that we were prepared to believe about Jesus today. We are prepared to believe that he is an extraordinary teacher, one of a kind. We are prepared to believe that he's a good role model, an example for all of us to follow. Some of us are even willing to believe that he is a savior, that if we believe in him through his cross and resurrection, he can save us from whatever happens to us on the other side of death. But I wonder even among a group like this, how many of us are really willing to accept and believe that he is Lord, period, end of sentence, he gets the final say in my life on all matters. Jesus stepped out of the boundaries in which they were prepared to believe. And now they have a decision to make and they're wrestling with the decision. And so Jesus says, say, says does this offend you? And I, and I want to ask you the same question today. When were you last offended by the teachings of Jesus? Right? Because that's something that should be happening regularly to us. And yet, if I'm going to be honest, I, I'm not that offended that often. And so I brought a list of recommendations for me. This is probably not true for you, but this is helpful for me. How to be offended by Jesus, because it is that offense that God is going to use in your life. Number one, recognize your need to be transformed, not tweaked. Recognize your need to be transformed, not tweaked. I think if you come to church enough and you have read enough of the scriptures, and you've done enough in your mind to align your life with Jesus, to try to imitate him, we come to a point where we're like, I think this is pretty good. So any work that God wants to do in us, Philippians tells us that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I think most of us think we get to a point, and at that point it's just some minor tinkering. It's just some fine-tuning. The engine is humming. Can we get some more horsepower out of it? Absolutely. Can we shine it up a little bit? For sure. You know, at the end of the year when your company does evaluations, that's really what we want to hear. You are amazing. There's a couple of areas for you to grow in, but I mean, oh my gosh, you're so much better than everyone else here. That's what we want to hear, right? (laughs) Everything is great. Now just some minor adjustments. But when I really start thinking about what Jesus was like, and not just in the way he behaved, but in the way that he was and how people responded to him, both positively and negatively. And then I look at my life. Again, I can't speak for you, but I need more than some tweaks. I need some legitimate 
life-changing transformation. But as long as I think I just need some minor adjustments, then I am not looking for Jesus to offend me because he and I think alike, act alike, and in all matters that are essential are alike. And the truth is that's, well, that's not true, at least for me. Second way to be offended by Jesus, listen and understand his teaching. Another reason why we're not often offended by Jesus is because we don't actually know the things that he's saying. On your way in, as I mentioned, there's a reading guide through the New Testament. And I would encourage you to begin to read through the Gospels this next month. Because he says a lot of things in there that will hurt your feelings. If you really listen to them and understand what they're saying. And then you look at your life and I look at my life. We will see that, that there is some transformation to be done. But if we're not actually reading the things that he's saying, or if we're reading them and not really slowing down enough to understand them, then we don't have any reason to be offended. Number three, resist the urge to dismiss or discredit. This is what the religious leaders would do. Uh, They would hear his teaching. Uh, They wouldn't want to do it. I mean, because Jesus said things like, if you want to honor the Father, you have to honor me. And if you don't receive me, then you're not going to receive the Father. And these religious leaders, they very much wanted to honor the one true God. And now Jesus is laying a dividing line in the middle and saying, you can't honor God unless you honor me. And they don't believe that. They believe he's just Jesus from Nazareth. So they need to find a way to discredit him, to dismiss him, so that they don't have to actually believe in him. And we have to resist that urge. We also have to resist the urge to compare ourselves to others. This is what Peter does in John chapter 21 after Jesus' resurrection, but before his ascension. He says to Peter, these are some of the things that I want you to do. These are some of the things that are going to happen to you. And they were heavy. I mean, he even told him the manner in which he was going to die. And you know what Peter does? He immediately looks over and says, what about him? Pointing to John, the author of this gospel. When Jesus lays this heavy burden on us, And we feel that weight. We don't like it. And so we say back to him, yeah, but what about that person? Why are you asking more of me when they're barely doing anything? Why are you asking for more faithfulness out of me when they're not being faithful at all? The most they ever do is come to church. I come to church more than they come to church. Why why are you asking that of me? We just have to resist that urge because it's a good thing and a necessary thing for us to be offended by the teaching of Jesus because it's one of the jobs of the Spirit of God. When we believe in Christ, Jesus sent us a gift, God's own Spirit living in us. Part of His role is to convict us of sin, to offend our ways of sinning so that we can say, I want to repent of that. I want to change. I don't want to be any part of that. I'm confronted by it. I'm offended by it. I'm wrestling with it. And I want, to, I want to receive your way, Jesus. I think one of the biggest reasons, so here, I'm definitely not talking to you. I'm only talking to me. One of the biggest reasons why I am not more often offended by Jesus is because I have just already decided that there are parts of his teaching that I'm not going to do. I feel embarrassed to say that out loud, but I feel like probably you're in the same boat with me. But Jesus told a couple of people, not a lot of people, but a couple of people, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Right. So uh, I've been told that today's back to school Sunday all across our church is probably the biggest Sunday, most attended Sunday that we've had since Easter, theoretically. And uh, surely out of a crowd this size, 
He's saying that to somebody. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Right now I'm hoping it's you and not me. <laughs> but surely somebody is hearing that call somewhere. Right? But really don't worry about it. Because, I mean, we're not going to do it. I mean, it, he would literally have to descend back down to earth. Knock on my door. Say, Curtis, Wayne Jones, social security number ending in 3168. Apple ID, password, dot, 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 D. I want you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And I'd still be like, well, I just need some time to pray about it. We already decided none of us are doing that. Right? So there's no bother in being offended when we get to that part of it. Not doing it anyway. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you remember this? If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, what? So remember that you said that, not me, in just a second. And then in the same passage, he then says, if somebody wants to sue you, wants to take from you, you should essentially just say, well, what else do you want? I'll give you that and I'll give you some other things. So if somebody came in and robbed you tonight and broke into your house and you caught them, and they weren't going to hurt your family, you should say, well, sure, hey, let, let, let me help you carry this TV out. <laughs> then once you get it loaded in their van, a creepy van... Anything else that you would like? Go back and read it. I didn't make that up. If somebody hits you in the face, stop and say, you want to do it again. But this is Texas. In Texas, if somebody hits us in the, in the face, what do we do? Somebody said, shoot him. <laughs> Which I was hoping for, honestly. <laughs> because uh, I have guns. I have a shotgun. And I have a rifle that could not hurt a rabbit. But it, it was cheap, and so it's mine. I like shooting little orange discs that fly across the sky. I would enjoy hunting. No one has ever invited me, so... Uh, <laughs> All that to say, all that, so. I preface all that. It's not a political statement. I don't even know that I'm going to vote in the next election. If you own a gun because you think one day you might have to kill somebody, I think you, you should wrestle with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I'm not telling you what you should do. I want to be super clear about that. I just think you should read that. And go and wrestle with God. I don't know what he will say to you in your closet of prayer. Romans chapter something says that we shouldn't judge another master servant. So zero judgment for me. But that feels pretty offensive, doesn't it? That feels like uh, Jesus teaching cramming into my ideologies. It 
And even in the last 10 seconds, we felt that instinct to dismiss, to discredit, to go, yeah, what about? But if you're never offended by Jesus, I'm not sure we are following Jesus. So don't ever grow up so much spiritually. Don't ever become so good at this thing that we're doing right here that you never find him or his way offensive. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And some of the disciples are like, oh, that's too much. Not that I don't understand it, but I just don't think that I want to do it. Verse 62, then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? This is Jesus' way of saying what I said. He would have to come down in his glory, knock on my door, tell me everything about myself, and then give me a specific instruction in order for me to really follow him in this way. Jesus is saying the same thing. If you are offended now that I'm saying these kinds of things, what if I put on the glory that I had before we created the world? That's what he says in John chapter 17, verse 5. It's a prayer to God. God, give me the glory that I have had before the world was created. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he takes Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain. He begins to pray, and God peels back the flesh of his humanity and lets all of his glory come out. Jesus says, if you think that you are offended because I said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, what if for once and all, for once and for all, you saw here that not just I am God's sent servant, but I am equal with God in nature. The Father and the Son. Verse 64, yet there are some, excuse me, verse 63. The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Jesus is, is, is giving a defense here. He's saying, guys, I'm not just making this up. I'm not just a really great teacher. When I speak, it is the Spirit of God bearing fruit in my words. If you will listen to my words, God will give you new life. That's what he tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus needs to be born again not just become a better person not just try harder not just believe this version of Judaism or that version of Judaism Nicodemus listen to me believe in me and any who do will not perish but will have everlasting life Jesus says it's through my words through my ministry through my teaching through my way that this happens I'm speaking words of spirit and in life, verse 64, yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. Right? So Jesus is speaking to those who are like, I don't understand this. I can't believe this. It's the same thing that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, writes in 1 Corinthians 2, that, that these things of God, they have to be spiritually discerned with the wisdom that comes from heaven, not the wisdom of this world. That's why sometimes when you're talking about following Christ, uh, you think that you are speaking so clearly, but the person that you're, you're speaking to, it's just, it just is bouncing off of them, right? It's because God has to be at work in order for these things to be uh, understood. That's why we need to pray, 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 and pray, and pray. We can't just will people into the kingdom of God. We can't just reason them into the kingdom of God. We can't just send long text messages or emails and they read it and they're like, oh my gosh, yes. Right? God has to be at work. And that's why Jesus says, in order for you to believe, God has to be the one drawing you. So we need to pray and pray and pray and pray. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
your version of the Bible say they no longer walked with him. And both are true. It means the same thing. They, they no longer were considering themselves disciples of Jesus. But I love the phrase walked because that's literally what they were doing. When we think of following Christ, I mean, it's, it's spiritual. Christ is not here. Um, it's spiritual, but in the first century, it was spiritual and it was physical. If you were a disciple of Jesus, you were willing to leave a week's worth of work to follow him out into the wilderness to listen to his teaching. If you were based in Capernaum and he traveled around Galilee, you would go out and, and follow him. You would be with him. The 12 disciples, they left their vocations and for three years, they just followed him as he had a wandering ministry through Israel, this place and that place. To us, it's just spiritual, but to them, it was spiritual and physical. And I think that's why it's a challenge. When we are confronted with the will of God and it has some physical component to it, it has some real life action to it, it's hard for us to follow through because we think of these things only as spiritual, as things that we believe. So if God asks me to be more generous than I am right now, I wrestle with it because this is my spiritual belief, but now it's very much affecting something physical that I can hold in my hand and I can purchase and, and do things. If God says something about the way we treat our physical bodies, we might resist that because this is just a spiritual faith. But it's physical and spiritual. They, they no longer followed him. Literally, they no longer followed him. And metaphorically, they no longer considered themselves his disciples. It shows us that there's a difference between being drawn to Jesus because we're interested and intrigued and accepting his way. Uh, Amanda is an Aggie. I don't think you ever get over that, right? Uh, not get over it, like it's something like a virus. It's not. Uh, so I grew up in southwest Missouri, as I mentioned, going to a super small school, no school spirit, embarrassed that I ever went there, that kind of thing. So we start dating. We met doing a summer internship. I had never really heard, I don't think about Texas A&M, and so during the summer that we were interning together, she drove me up from Houston to, to, to College Station, and she's, the whole hour and a half, she's telling me about everything that I'm going to experience, and, and really all I was hearing is, here are a bunch of rules. Uh, you, can step, you can step on this grass, you can't step on this grass over here, and I'm like, okay, mental note, some grass, good, some grass, not good. Uh, you can wear a hat in most of the buildings, but there's one building in which you cannot wear it. It sounded like the Garden of Eden. You made the fruit from all these trees, but from this one tree, you're not allowed to eat the fruit. And she's telling me about all these traditions, and uh, you get engaged under this tree, and you, you know, when you're a senior, they give you a ring, and you drink it so that it can come out the other end. And I mean, just crazy, just crazy stuff. But I came from a school that had like zero school spirit. So I'm like, yeah, this is, this is it, man. This is it. This is, must be what everybody is experiencing in, in, in college. I'm not experiencing any of this. And so just loving it. But there comes a point where they want your support, but like you're not one of them. Like, I mean, it's, it hurts your feelings when your wife makes that clear, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm so glad that you have a t-shirt, but you are not... And Aggie. And I'm like, I, I get it, man. I get it. I'm proud of my T-shirt. And I experience that when we go see a football game uh, every fall. We love it, you know. Uh, and so we go up there. And I go as a fan. I wear the one T-shirt that I have. And I'm all in. I want them to win uh, whoever they're playing. Um, but when Amanda goes, I mean, there's like a checklist of all the things that we got to do. We got to see this. And we got to be at this time and this thing. We got to go in here. And make sure you take your hat off and all that. She's screaming at the kids. Don't step on that grass. Don't step on that grass. Right? <laughs> 
there's a difference between I own a t-shirt and this is my way. And the disciples in verse 66, they were like, I just came for the t-shirt. I was, I was very interested in this. When you started teaching in these synagogues in Galilee, I was like, whoa. This is nothing I ever heard before. But then you stepped out of bounds. I am not going to eat your flesh and drink your blood. Not literally, not metaphorically, not spiritually. I was happy when all you were asking me to do was to wear the t-shirt. And so they walked away. And they didn't follow him anymore. Verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that Simon Peter speaks up and he says, to whom shall we go? We like to think of ourselves as just give us the facts. We are wise, reasoned, intelligent, thinking people. If you just give us the truth, we will be moved by the truth. If you give us something false, we will be able to discern something false. The, the truth is that Peter was on to something. To whom shall we go? There is always a whom that moves us. We are not moved by information alone. There is always a person behind it. In every hobby that you have, in every way that you spend your time or spend your money, you were motivated to do that, not because you looked at all the facts and options, but because there was some whom behind it that you wanted to be like, or some whom that you were responding to, or some whom that you wanted their approval. There is always a whom. And Peter is saying, if we're going to follow somebody, we're going to follow you because you have the words of eternal life. Other people can give us good teaching. Potentially other people could be kings. But you alone, Jesus, when you speak, it is from eternal life and it will lead to eternal life. And that's important for us when we are offended by Jesus. Where are you going to go? If you are considering Christ right now and, and after today you're like, pass, who are you going to go to? Because you're not going to leave and go believe in nothing. There is always a someone behind the something that you are believing in. Peter says, where are we going to go? Who are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. And then he takes it another level up. Verse 69. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now what's interesting, that phrase, Holy One of God... It's not used that often in the, the New Testament. In fact, it's only used twice. Uh, once here, and then once in Mark and once in Luke, but it's just the same experience. Jesus is teaching, and he goes to cast out a demon, and that demon, speaking through the person that it's possessing, uh, what do we have to do with you? Holy one of God. In the Old Testament, the phrase holy one of Israel is used a lot to refer to the one true God. And so the scripture here, Peter's confession, it's lifting Jesus up to the highest possible place. The way that we used to refer to God alone, now we refer to his eternal begotten son, filled with holiness and righteousness. When he speaks, it is the words of eternal life. And notice what Peter says, we have come to believe 
and to know that you are the Holy One of God. If you know anything about Peter's experience, it wasn't just the first time that Peter encountered Jesus that he was like, boom, I believe this. Isn't that good news for us? As I look into my life and I think about all the things that Jesus has taught and asked, I'm like, oh, these are not the same. To, to be reminded, I am coming to know and I am coming to believe. I am growing to know and I am growing to believe more and more and more and more, hopefully each year, that Jesus is the Holy One of God who has the words of eternal life. Then it takes a real sharp right turn here, verse 70. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is the devil? Can you imagine Peter saying, you are the Holy One of God, you have the words of eternal life, and he's like, yeah, but one of you is filled with Satan right now. <laughs> and it says, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. I just find that so interesting that Jesus knew all of this. And yet he still chose Judas to be one of his 12? Well, why on earth would he do that? I'm sure that you could give your life to trying to answer that question. I see two things that are good for us to remember. I think Jesus has a just supernatural, unreal love for people. I think he loved Judas even though he knew this about him. And also, Jesus has a supernatural, unreal love for the purpose of God. Scripture says that before he picked the 12 disciples, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when he came off that mountain, he picked the 12, including Judas. Back in John chapter 5, he said that he doesn't do or say anything unless he sees the Father doing it and saying it. So he would not have chosen Judas if it was not God's will, he was just dedicated that much to the purposes of God in the world, which included his life. And to go back to us being offended by Jesus when we are offended, and when he may or may not be asking us to give up something that we have cherished or to receive something that we have feared, will we be as dedicated to the purposes of God Will we love the plan of God so much that we say yes, even if it comes at a cost to us? Jesus says, this is who I am. And this is the expectations. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I am the bread of heaven. And then we see people responding differently. Peter says, I'm in. The 12 believe, minus Judas, but they don't say anything. You had a ring of 72 outside of those 12, the other gospels tell us. And it may be some of them that said, nah, I was just here for the t-shirt. And then outside of that, you have the crowd, which includes would-be disciples, people interested, and even opponents. And they all had to grapple with Jesus saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. The amazing grace of God is that he gives us a choice. So they chose, and we have to choose today too. Let's pray.